Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. My name is Judd Littleton, and I'm a partner in the litigation group and co-head of the firm's Supreme Court and Appellate Practice. I'm here with Julia Malkina, also a partner in our litigation group and in the Supreme Court and Appellate Practice. Today, we are continuing our series of podcast supplements to SNC's Supreme Court Business Review, which is our summary of the decisions from this past term that are most relevant to businesses. You can find the Supreme Court Business Review, as well as all of our podcast episodes once they are released, on SNC's website at www.solcrom.com. In this episode, we are delighted to be joined by Sharon Kahn-Lovett, a partner in the litigation group and criminal defense and investigations group. Sharon is a former federal prosecutor and was head of the Money Laundering and Asset Forfeiture Unit in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York for two decades. Suffice it to say that Sharon's experiences are unparalleled in this area. We will discuss the Supreme Court's recent decision in Federal Republic of Germany versus Philip, and Sharon will share her insights on the implication of this decision for heirs of Holocaust victims and victims of other genocides seeking to recover property taken by foreign governments. The Supreme Court issued its decision in Federal Republic of Germany versus Philip on February 3rd, 2021. The case considered whether an exception to the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, or FSIA, for, quote, property taken in violation of international law, allowed the heirs of a group of Jewish art dealers to bring a claim against Germany in a U.S. district court based on the Nazi regime's expropriation of a collection of German medieval relics from the consortium in 1935. In a unanimous opinion issued by Chief Justice Roberts, the court held that the heirs claim, at least insofar as it was based on an expropriation of property against German nationals, was not within the FSIA exception and therefore was barred by sovereign immunity. Let's step back and give a bit of background. This case concerns the Welfenschatz, also known as the Gulf Treasure, a collection of religious relics dating as far back as the 11th century originally housed in the Brunswick Cathedral in Germany. In 1929, a consortium of three art firms owned by Jewish residents of Frankfurt purchased the bulk of the collection from the House of Brunswick Lundberg. Hitler rose to power four years later in 1933, and the Nazi party immediately began a process eroding the political, legal, economic, and social rights of Germany's Jewish population. During this period, Jews were progressively marginalized from Germany's economic life with Jewish-owned businesses routinely liquidated or acquired on favorable terms by quote-unquote ethnic Aryans under conditions of economic coercion or threats of violence. The heirs of the art dealers allege that in 1935, Hermann Goering, Hitler's deputy and the prime minister of Prussia, became interested in the Welfenschatz collection. The complaint alleged that Goering employed a combination of political persecution and physical threats to coerce the consortium into selling the remaining pieces to Prussia in 1935 for approximately one-third of their value. Two of the consortium members fled Germany shortly after the sale, and the third died in Germany shortly thereafter. After World War II, the United States troops took possession of the collection and turned it over to the Prussian Cultural Heritage Foundation known as SPK, which currently has them exhibited in a Berlin museum. Now, for a number of years, the heirs of the consortium members have been trying to recover the collection from SPK. They contacted SPK, claiming the sale of the Welfenschatz to the Prussian government was unlawful. 
SPK undertook an investigation and concluded that the sale had occurred at a fair market price without coercion. In 2014, the heirs brought a claim to Germany's advisory commission for the return of cultural property seized as a result of Nazi persecution, especially Jewish property, also known as the Limbach Commission, which ruled in favor of SPK. In 2015, the heirs, two of whom are U.S. citizens, brought a civil suit against Germany and its instrumentality SPK in the United States District Court for the District of Columbia, alleging several property-based claims, including replevin, conversion, and unjust enrichment, and seeking $250 million in damages. Germany moved to dismiss, arguing that it enjoyed immunity under the FSIA. The District Court denied the motion, finding that it could exercise jurisdiction over Germany because the core sale occurred in the context of the Holocaust and therefore fell within the exception from immunity under the FSIA for property taken in violation of international law. A DC Circuit panel agreed with the heirs that the exception for property taken in violation of international law was satisfying because genocide perpetrated by a state, even against its own nationals, is a violation of international law. Germany filed a petition for rehearing on Bonk, which was denied. Judge Katzis, however, dissented from the denial of rehearing on Bonk. Judge Katzis expressed concern that this interpretation of the FSIA exception would open the floodgates for a U.S. District Court to sit as a war crimes tribunal to adjudicate claims of genocide, allowing for a wide range of litigation against foreign sovereigns for public acts committed within their own territories. Supreme Court granted certiorari and largely agreed with Judge Katz's dissent, declining to exercise jurisdiction over Germany and holding that a sovereign's theft of its own citizens' property during a genocide is not a violation of international law, reversing the decisions of the courts below and remanding the case to the district court. So with that overview, I am looking forward to turning to our expert here. So Sharon, before we get into Philip, Maybe it would be helpful to take a step back and speak a little bit more about the theft of art by the Nazis during the Holocaust and the process for recovery. Certainly. During World War II, in addition to the other atrocities, Nazi Germany led a systemic campaign to loot and plunder art from Jews and others in Germany, Austria, and occupied countries. To give an initial sense of scale, Hundreds of thousands of pieces of artwork worth billions of dollars were stolen by the Nazis, either by looting or through for sale during the period of 1933 to 1945. At the end of World War II, the Allied forces found plundered artwork in more than a thousand repositories across Germany and Austria. Under the direction of the U.S. Armed Forces, nearly 700,000 pieces were identified and returned to the countries from which they were taken in order for those foreign governments to locate the original owners and institute restitution proceedings to return the looted art. Unfortunately, tens of thousands of works of art never made it back to their rightful owners. It is estimated that approximately 20% of the art in Europe was looted by the Nazis, and there were well over 100,000 items that have not been returned to their rightful owners. This is a significant issue for the art market, since legitimate organizations do not want to deal with objects with unclear ownership. In the mid-1990s, this situation attracted media attention. Several books, magazine articles, and newspaper stories were written exposing the subject to the general public. 
Over the next several years, more information became available, in part as a result of the political changes and advances in technology. Privacy laws in some countries had expired, so records and archives were now open to the public. Additionally, information from former Soviet countries that was previously unobtainable is now available, and many organizations have posted information online, making it widely accessible. In November 1998, the U.S. Department of State and the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum co-hosted the Washington Conference on Holocaust-Era Assets, in which delegations from 44 governments and 13 non-governmental organizations participated. The conference addressed various issues related to the confiscation of assets by the Nazis during the Holocaust, including looted art. The conference achieved a degree of consensus on a set of principles for dealing with looted art. These principles included encouraging research into the provenance and identification of art, calling for these findings to be publicized, urging the establishment of a centralized computerized registry linking all Holocaust era art loss databases and encouraging alternative dispute resolution strategies. Following the Washington Conference, several European nations formed commissions or tribunals to address the claims of heirs of Holocaust victims seeking to recover their looted art. Austria, France, Germany have set up such commissions. And as you mentioned earlier, the heirs and Philip went through Germany's version, known as the Limbach Commission, which issues recommendations on whether art should be returned. In addition, the United States has enacted several laws aimed at providing relief for Holocaust victims and their families, such as the Holocaust Victims Redress Act of 1998, the Holocaust Expropriated Art Recovery Act of 2016, which establishes a six-year statute of limitations for claimants after discovery of the identity or location of lost artwork or other property, or after discovery of the claimant's possessory interest, and the Justice for Uncompensated Survivors Today Act of 2017. Of course, where Holocaust victims fail to recover their property through these mechanisms, they can also seek to litigate their claims either abroad or in U.S. courts, as the plaintiffs did in Philip. Thank you for that helpful background, Jaron. Turning back to Philip, the heirs advanced a claim against Germany based on an exception to the FSIA. Can you give us some background on the FSIA and how it is relevant to the recovery of stolen or looted art? Congress enacted the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, or FSIA, in 1976, which codified the longstanding principle under U.S. common law and international law that a foreign government cannot be sued in courts of another country absent consent. The FSIA provides foreign states with a baseline presumption of immunity from U.S. lawsuits, but carves out several exceptions to this, such as where the foreign state is engaged in commercial activity in or affecting the United States, has committed a tortious act in the United States, or where, as the claimants argued here, the foreign state engaged in a taking of property in violation of international law. The latter exception, known as the expropriation exception, has provided an avenue for victims to bring claims against foreign governments in the United States courts for property lost in connection with historical human rights abuses. For instance, in Republic of Austria versus Altman, 
Louis Altman was able to bring a civil action against Austria in the United States District Court pursuant to the FSIA's expropriation exception. Ms. Altman sought recovery of six Gustav Klimt paintings stolen by the Nazis from her uncle, a Czechoslovakian Jew, and then housed in an Austrian government museum. Following Ms. Altman's success overcoming Austria's sovereign immunity claim in the US courts, the parties agreed to arbitration, which resulted in five of the paintings being restored to Ms. Altman in 2006 and later sold at auction for a total of over $327 million. But it appears that the Supreme Court has now narrowed the FSIA's expropriation exception. So Sharon, what's the scope of that exception now in light of Philip? In the two decisions, Philip and Simon versus Republic of Hungary, a case brought by Holocaust survivors against Hungary and Hungary's state-owned railway, seeking compensation for the expropriation of property by Hungary from Jews during the Holocaust. The Court of Appeals for the DC Circuit interpreted the exception to sovereign immunity under the FSIA for property taken in violation of international law as encompassing expropriations in connection with genocide or human rights abuses. In Philip, the Supreme Court disagreed holding that the phrase, quote, rights in property taken in violation of international law, unquote, as used in the FSIA expropriation exception, refers to violations of international law of expropriation and will not necessarily encompass property taken during the commission of a genocide or other breach of international law. The court held that under what is known as a domestic takings rule, a state's expropriation of property from its own nationals is not a violation of the international law of expropriation and therefore does not fall within the FSIA immunity exception. That said, since international law recognizes a state's taking of property from a foreign national as a violation, the Supreme Court found that the fact pattern would fall within the immunity exception. For instance, the court justified the applicability of the FSIA expropriation exception in Altman under the rationale that the case involved Austria's expropriation of property belonging to a Czech citizen, whereas the expropriation in Philip was a domestic taking by Germany against its own nationals. Now, the Supreme Court has remanded the case to the district court on this issue. Sharon, what is next for the Philip claimant? The heirs have raised an alternative argument. The sale was not subject to the domestic takings rule because the consortium members were not, in fact, German citizens at the time of the sale. While Nazi Germany did not formally strip Jews of their German citizenship until a few months after the sale of the Welfenschatz, at the time of the sale, German Jews had lost virtually all of the basic rights commonly understood to be associated with citizenship. So the heirs may have a viable argument. The district court has been instructed to consider this question, including whether the heirs have adequately preserved this argument. If the heirs can establish the consortium members were not German citizens, they may be able to litigate the merits of their case in U.S. court. That's interesting. So beyond the heirs here in this case, Sharon, what do you see as the broader implications of the decision in Philip? 
Well, the DC Circuit's interpretation of the FSIA expropriation exception resulted in an extremely broad exception to foreign state immunity in US courts for essentially any property taking involving a violation of international law as determined by US courts. The Supreme Court found persuasive the argument that this interpretation could open the floodgates of claims being brought in United States courts against countries that have committed human rights abuses in the past and potentially prompt reciprocal action against the United States by aggrieved foreign countries. For example, a court in Germany could decide to adjudicate claims against the United States arising out of the US government's past human rights abuses. Paradoxically, by confirming that the FSIA expropriation exception allows jurisdiction over claims which involves a state's taking a foreign national's property with no requirement that the foreign national be a US person, the Supreme Court has delineated a still very broad exception to immunity of foreign governments in the area of expropriations. This is significant in the area of art and antiquities recovery, particularly given the Nazis plundering of art and other property throughout Europe, but also for victims of government's expropriation of property in other contexts. Supreme Court's holding seems to give US courts wide leeway to assert jurisdiction over foreign states from claims that in substance have very little to do with the United States. Is that right, Sharon? Yes, the courts below rejected an argument by Germany that even if jurisdiction was present, the district court was obligated to abstain from deciding the case on international comedy grounds. The Supreme Court granted cert on this issue, but the court declined to address the comedy question as the question of immunity under the FSIA was dispositive of the appeal. So. Sharon, going forward, what sort of cases do you foresee this expropriation exception to immunity generally applying to? The expropriation exception under the FSIA provides a particularly important avenue for recovery for victims of expropriation who are unable or are reluctant to pursue alternative avenues for recovery in the foreign country. Victims of state expropriation who are concerned about the prospects for recovery in the country where the taking occurred will want to evaluate whether they meet the criteria for the FSIA exception to sovereign immunity and can therefore bring suit in U.S. court. Philip is a good example of a situation where litigation in U.S. courts present a more favorable alternative. Indeed, the heirs in Philip have opted not to pursue their claims in the German court system. Germany's Limbach Commission denied the heirs recovery based on a finding that the sale was a voluntary fair market transaction. And in the US litigation, Germany has continued to argue that the sale was legitimate and not coerced. But while the factual record here is complex, Germany's position is at odds with the widely recognized historical reality that given the political conditions in Nazi Germany in 1935, it is extremely unlikely that a Jewish art dealer would be in a position to freely negotiate a sale with the Nazi regime, particularly with a Nazi of the stature of Hermann Goering. In fact, forced sales of Jewish done property at below market prices were a defining feature of the Holocaust. However, the Welfenschatz collection is an important part of Germany's cultural heritage, and Germany likely does not want to lose it. While I'd like to think that these circumstances would not cloud the impartiality of a German court, 
the heirs likely perceived that their chances of success in the German court system would be low, and therefore the U.S. courts potentially offer a more favorable alternative. Thank you for that, Sharon. Speaking of recovery for Nazi expropriations, during your time in the Southern District of New York, you were the lead prosecutor responsible for securing a settlement in the watershed Portrait of Wally forfeiture case, a story that was later made into a documentary. Can you please tell us more about your work on this case? Thank you, Julia. Unlike the Philip case, the Portrait of Wally action involved a civil forfeiture case brought by the U.S. government against a painting by Egon Schiele, Portrait of Wally. The painting, Portrait of Wally, had been imported into the United States for an exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art, or MoMA. Portrait of Wally had been owned by Leah Bondi Duray, an Austrian Jewish gallery owner in Vienna. Similar to what occurred to the art dealers in Philip, Leah's art gallery was Aryanized and all the contents of her gallery were seized following Germany's annexation of Austria. However, Portrait of Wally was not a part of Leah's gallery, but her private property. On the eve of Leah's escape from Austria, Nazi art dealer Friedrich Welz showed up at Leah's apartment, spotted the painting hanging on the wall, and demanded it. Leah, under duress, turned over the painting to Welz. After the war, Wally was transferred to the Austrian government in accordance with the policy and practice of the U.S. Armed Forces to return property seized from Nazis to the governments of the countries of origin and was ultimately transferred to the government-owned Austrian National Gallery in Vienna. Dr. Rudolf Leopold, an Austrian art collector, offered to help Leia recover the painting, but instead he acquired Wally for himself, and the painting ultimately became a part of the Leopold Museum's art collection. In 1997, the Leopold Museum loaned part of its collection, including Wally, to MoMA. Wally was shipped to New York and was eventually seized by the United States Customs Service. The U.S. Attorney's Office of the Southern District of New York filed a civil forfeiture action in Manhattan Federal Court alleging that Wally was forfeitable, a stolen property knowingly imported into the United States in violation of U.S. law. If the painting was forfeited, the U.S. government planned to return the painting to its true owners, the heirs of Leah Bondi Duray. And then we spent the next 13 years litigating the case. Unlike in Philip and Altman, the Leopold Museum was not a state-owned museum, and thus sovereign immunity was not an issue. In the litigation, the Leopold Museum argued that Nazi Party member Friedrich Wells did not steal the painting and that the Leopold Museum's director, Dr. Leopold, did not know Wally was stolen property when it was imported into the United States. The district court rejected the museum's position that Wally was not stolen property holding that when a Nazi demands property from a Jew during the Holocaust, it is under duress and it is a theft. After years of litigation on the eve of trial, the Bondi heirs and the Leopold Museum reached a settlement under which the Leopold Museum paid the Bondi estate $19 million in exchange for Wally and agreed to place a plaque next to the painting wherever it was exhibited anywhere in the world telling the story of Portrait of Wally, its theft from Leah Bondi-Geray, and the civil forfeiture action. The Portrait of Wally case brought public attention to the struggle of the families of Holocaust victims to recover art stolen by the Nazis. 
What was unique about the case was the fact that a work of art loaned to a U.S. museum could be seized by U.S. government authorities. The case helped open a global re-examine of the massive looting of art by the Nazi regime, as well as the post-war policies of European governments that were purportedly designed to deal with looted art recovered from the Nazis, but in many cases resulted in the failure to return the art to its true owners. Thank you very much for that, Sharon. And thank you very much for joining us. This really was a terrific episode. Thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.silkrom.com. Please also join Judd, me, and our guests for upcoming episodes of our Supreme Court Business Review podcast series. Mm -hmm.